they're coming back and saying, wow, this has really helped me understand myself. And as we're talking about, you know, master yourself. And before they're engaging with clients, they're applying these tools and techniques on themselves, on their practice, on their personal lives to really get themselves leveled up. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and business agility coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of The Thinking Leader. Mr. Hoffman, good day, sir. Who do we have joining us this week? Hello, Marcus. I am really excited because today we have with us Craig Dowden. Craig Dowden is a thought leader whose focus is on bridging the gap between what science knows and what leaders do. He is also the author of the book, A Time to Lead, which he wrote with my friend and mentor, Alan Mullally, so I couldn't be happier to have him on the show. Craig gives keynotes and coaching uh, in Canada and beyond. Craig, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much. I've been really looking forward to this conversation for quite some time for a variety of reasons, so really appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So have I. So tell us about how you came to work with, with Alan on a, a Time to Lead. Well, uh, and thank you. Yes, it was just it was a wonderful uh, variety of events that came together. I was writing my second book, and the primary thesis of the book was great leadership starts with great self-leadership. And I was mm. on a mission. It was early in the pandemic as I started to write it because people were asking, well, how are we going to get through this? And then at the heart of that question often was, well, how am I going to get through it? So I started out with this mission of writing a book to say, so what are the evidence-informed principles, practices, tools, techniques that we can use to be the best leaders we can be so we can inspire the best in other people, inspire their best thinking, their productivity, et cetera. And then, as luck should have it, had the opportunity to connect with Alan. And one of the big gaps that I find and also the, the some of the critical questions that are asked from people is that, okay, this sounds great in theory. How does this apply within my organization if I'm right. large, multinational, or I'm publicly traded? So my goal was to have mastermind CEO masterclasses in the book. And so to take from my experience coaching different CEOs, C-suite execs, and highlight their stories. When I had the amazing good fortune of connecting with Alan, uh, I told him about the book that I was writing and said, I can't think of a better master class teacher than you and talk about how you brought these qualities in your extraordinary career at Ford and Boeing commercial airplanes. And so Alan was intrigued and thankfully uh, we continued to have conversations. And so now within each chapter, he provides an in-depth in masterclass around, well, this is how we lived and breathed this within the working together management system. So it was, it was incredibly meaningful, a lot of fun and, and very valuable. 
Oh, I'm sure. I mean, he he is just a font of wisdom. And for those who don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Alan Mulally, former president of Boeing Commercial Aircraft and former CEO of Ford Motor Company, one of the greatest CEOs of all time. And the 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 subtitle of your book, which I think is really goes to to something that I know Alan is 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 very focused on, which is mastering yourself so that you can master the world. Talk a little bit about that. Well, thank you. Yes, it was it was very intentional, and certainly uh, collaborating with Alan certainly inspires uh, that in every conversation. And a couple of things. Number one, the idea of mastering as opposed to master, because master suggests there's some endpoint that okay, there's a finite time where I have truly mastered me. No, this is a lifelong journey. Every single day, we're learning things, we're adapting, we're growing, and we want to challenge our thinking around that. And then on top of that, after the mastering, it's yourself to words. And the really the philosophy behind that and the intentionality behind it was to say, almost to borrow a popular phrase, go to the balcony and observe ourselves from a different perspective and then really understand what's going on. What are our assumptions? What are our emotions? What's happening so that we can maximize the chances to learn from our own experience? Because the worst thing that can happen is we have this beautiful situation where there's so much rich, rich lessons there, and we just blissfully walk by them without learning from them. What are some of the things that, that leaders should be looking for when they're looking at themselves from a distance? Well, I think a couple of things, first and foremost, is mindset. What And that's why I opened the book with that. Mindset is foundational. What our expectations are, what our beliefs are about a particular situation, our assumptions, our biases, and as both of you know, biases are, are rampant, yeah. and you do such an extraordinary job of talking about that and coaching people around it. So getting really intimately aware of our mindset in any situation, because if I see this discussion we're having here is a collaborative conversation or, uh oh, Bryce and Marcus are out to get me. <laughs> that impacts. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, how I'm going to show up. So I think the mindset is really critical. And then we go into the emotional landscape, which for me, as business leaders, as executives and chief executives, sometimes it's almost, it's not personal, it's business. Emotions are intimately connected to how we show up. That's as human beings, what's engagement if it's not emotional? So what we want to do is recognize what emotional state we're in, what triggers that we have, what can lead us to show up more versus less effectively. And now as I understand those two things, now they're going to have an impact on my behaviors, what I say and right. what I do. So mastering emotions, mindset, and identifying triggers, I think that's absolutely essential. That's fascinating, Craig. How much of this do you think is actually a realization for leaders today? And I come at that from two perspectives. A, the self-realization, which is what your book focuses on, but also the the focus of learning and development for leaders and managers. And we know as you go up the, the slippery pole, there's these numerous training programs that organizations exist and create. And I don't see many that are focusing on what you're talking about and what your book has been written to focus on. And obviously the uniqueness of Alan and 
very few people behaving that way. What would you say is your percentage understanding of how many are doing this and how many organizations get it? I think you're absolutely right, Marcus. It's a great observation in terms of, well, what's the what's the gap between the say and do mm -hmm. ratio, if you will, and how many organizations are truly focusing on the great self-leadership being vital to how we lead other teams, organizations 100%. effectively. Yeah. And I think another piece that you touch on and, and is around there can be an externalization of blame. So it's easy to look outward for, well, here's mm -hmm. why this isn't operating. Context or the people, right? It's their problem versus, and again, which is why I love the work that you're doing and, and, and I love our conversations is that it's really starting to turn inwards and say, all right, what's the quality of my thinking? What is going on within me? And now how does this intersect in the situations that I'm in? And so start with self. So I, I think you're right. Now, what's interesting is going through the pandemic and and I think even pre-pandemic, there was lots of momentum around this where either through own self-realization, as you put it, and or forced realization as, well, I got to do something, we're starting to shift the needle. Yet we can all too often see examples where people are, pushing back against that and can hold on to outdated styles of, of thinking and interacting. So interesting. You know, I, I keep thinking about this, this idea of distance too, which I think is so important, Craig. And, and it was, I was thinking about uh, another guest that we had on a few months ago, one of our favorites, uh, Captain Dave Marquette, uh, author of the book, Turn the Ship Around and former U.S. Navy uh, nuclear submarine commander, and one of the one of his pieces of advice is to is to put a temporal distance mm. between between yourself and now as a leader, and look back as he suggests. Imagine it's a year from now. What are you going to look back and, and and say, "Gee, I wish I wish I had done this differently," or or what would you have told? What would you wish? You, what what would yourself a year from now? wish it could come back and tell yourself now. <laughs> and I think that that's really, there, there's so much around that because we get, we get lost in the weeds, particularly in this, this VUCA world that we're living in right now, where their change is so constant, so rapid and so intense. And, and it's hard for us as leaders to look up from our desks mm -hmm. and it's, so it's not just cognitive biases and heuristics, which are huge and affect all of us, but it's also this, this kind of tunnel vision that we get. And I think it's really important for leaders to, to, to step outside themselves in order to, to be able to escape that to some degree. Well, in building on that, it's such an important point that you're making, Bryce, and, and in, in so much as well, most of us think, well, who knows ourselves better than we do? Right, because we're in our own heads and we're living our lives, and yet, and then that naturally can prompt us to have a more myopic view on things. And so, I love and I'm sh I share that with you one thousand percent around the power of distancing. So, how can we do that? Going to the balcony—that's a powerful trigger that can get us to think differently. I love how you talk temporal distancing. So, a year from now, how's that going to affect us? These are all incredibly powerful 
Small prompts, if we take the moment to reflect, can provide extraordinary learning. And back to the emotional side, because I think this is so important. And one of the pieces of research I came across when writing the book, which was just a mic drop for me, when you ask people, can you accurately identify what you're feeling right now? Not even a third of us, I think it's like 30% of people can do that well. Wow. So to your point, like yeah. if I don't even understand what I'm, the emotion I'm feeling now, it's good or bad, I'm unable to really unpack that. Well, how are we gaining insight? How are we learning how we're showing up and how our emotions are not only impacting ourselves, other people. So the points you raised are so valuable in terms of, as you say, to look up for a moment, five seconds to take a broader view of the landscape. Well, you hit on something that's really important there, Craig. Um, and it's been a, the, our focus of our work for the, for, for the past six months or more. This is why executive coaching is so important for leaders. You know, and, and this is, you know, as I think, you know, Marcus and I have, have launched a red team coaching program. We've trained, just finished our first group of 500 coaches from around the world. Um, and I know you do executive coaching as well. I think because of that statistic that you just cited there is one of many reasons why you need to get outside help to, to look mm -hmm. at this in many cases. And if you look at even some of the most successful leaders in the world, Alan's a great case in point. He had the benefit of having Marshall Goldsmith as his coach. And I know that relationship with Marshall has been hugely important for him. Now, if you talk to, to Marshall, Marshall will tell you he learned more from Alan than, than, <laughs> than, yes. than, than, than Alan learned from him. But I mean, it's still important to have that, 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 that person who's kind of helping you look at yourself be, in, unless you're one of those rare folks that can really look honestly and hard at yourself. But isn't it ironic where in, in all high-performing sectors, you look at sport, music, movies, everybody has a coach. Right. And it's almost a rarity now. I, I guess it's almost, you know, you sort of see as you get to a certain level, you get entitled to a coach, so you get one because it's novel. But mm -hmm. then seems to be the higher up you get, the fewer people actually have coaches when it's in most dying need. And especially for men, let's be honest, fellas, we are <laughs> awful at talking, at sharing our emotions, looking at ourselves inwardly, having that hard stare in the mirror. And there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up to talk about, Craig, is that two of the things that are really holding people back from this self-reflection are ego and the imposter syndrome, which are kind of a paradox, but often we see combined, and we talked about this recently with Christy Garcia. How have you found those two components going against what you're trying to achieve with this purpose and self-reflection? Well, for sure. And I think the ego piece of it is is very strong, runs rampant. And 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 the challenge is that all of us have ego as well. I mean, and, and that's right. an important that we that it's a necessary part mm -hmm. of and a natural part of being human. Now, the extent of that ego is where the, it's the continuum, right? And how it serves or not serve us. And then I think, you know, within, and I love the example from sports, right? Like coaching, that's part of it. And all-stars have coaches and they really lean, in, lean into the coaching conversations and rely on the coaches. And it's a great example with Marshall and Allen. Well, what was happening there? They were learning from each other. It's almost mm -hmm. co-coaching. And that's fundamental. Right. I'm, I'm learning from you right now and, and Mark, like both of you. And so I love having mutual learning-based conversations 
And so that ego, when there's this feeling that, well, I've got to show that I know all of this. And if people think I don't know, then I'm weak or I'm incompetent or I'm incapable. And once again, a great segue back to where we initially started as well is that now I'm holding myself back from showing up at my best because Mm -hmm. when you do open up and when you do demonstrate a level of vulnerability and say, you know what, that's a great question, Marcus. I'm not sure. People respect us more, not less. They're more inclined to follow us more, not less, because they appreciate the candor, the honesty, the directness. And now, okay, now I can trust, once again, back to that relationship. So I certainly see that. And the counterbalance imposter syndrome as well is that I'm scared. Are people going to find out that I'm not qualified for this? And it's interesting. I have different CEO forums that I facilitate, and it's a common question concern that someone will go i don't know like i showed up today and i went into this meeting and i did x and then it's silence and then and i'm sure you both come across it as well people go oh i'm so glad you said that because i have i went into a meeting <laughs> exactly. the other day. i'm totally lost they're expecting me to open up this market opportunity like i don't know i kind of and this is great because once again, the more, and maybe this is where the two of them come together. If we can get outside mm-hmm. of ourselves and then lean into other people and lean into conversations like this and learn from one another, we all struggle with these things on a daily basis. And so then learning the tips and tools from others' experience, asking questions, that's, that's the key. You nailed it well, for me there. I had a conversation the other day and someone said exactly what you just said. He said, most leaders today just need to get out their own way. They're constantly yes. tripping themselves up. And there's this, this perspective that is so out of date that leaders, I'm now a leader. And therefore, everyone's looking at me for all the answers. I have to have the answers. And if I don't know them, I'm going to either make them up or I'm going to go and take time to bring them to the table. Whereas you said the counter to that is just show some vulnerability. Admit you don't know. Go to the teams who have the ideas and say, hey, I don't know, but I'm pretty certain you all know. Can you help me? And that brings such a different engagement level from your people, from yourself. And as you said, it takes away that stigma of the imposter. It brings the ego down to the level where it's useful rather than detrimental. And I think that's really a, a shift in understanding of what leadership is for this modern era that we're now fully immersed in. And the the reason why I think that ego is tied to this, why it, it isn't it isn't two different things. It's really the, the the imposter syndrome and the need to project this 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 air of mastery or or leadership really does come down to the ego because you know I think what our ego tends to force us to do is protect it. And, you know, it doesn't like to feel vulnerable. It doesn't like to be shown up. It doesn't like to be looked at um, critically. And mm-hmm. so the way that, that that what that leads us to do, I think, often as leaders is to is to try to preempt that by having coming in with with your guns blazing, having all the answers, you know, yeah. dazzling people with your with your brilliant ideas and and then you you know if you never stop talking you never get questioned. <laughs> I love that yeah, line. That's right. Yes. <laughs> well, you never stop talking. You never get questioned. Brilliant. That's right. 
Well, and I remember some research as well where the amount of time someone speaks in a meeting has zero correlation with the value they add. Um, right. And and then the other funny thing too, just had this conversation the other day working with an executive team around a charter, you know, set of expectations. And one of the points of discussion was like, just please don't talk for the sake of talking. Speak to add value, not to take up time. And so very, very, uh, you know, critical. An empty matchbox makes the most noise. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one match left in it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's well, true. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, too, um, you know, I just had Ed Hess. Uh, so he's a professor emeritus out of Darden, and he's written numerous uh, fantastic books on learning. One of his bestsellers called Hyper Learning. Uh, he had a book, Humility's New Smart. He had a definition, which I want to share because it fits so beautifully. He said, my success, I'm not defined by how much I know and what I know, but by the quality of my thinking. Right. And I'm like, all right. Right. Mic drop, rock star. Yes, yes, yes. And then quality of thinking comes from the questions we pose to others to now get them to think and uh, challenge their own assumptions and come away and go, oh, that's really interesting. Let's go find the answer to that. And that's a great revelation. Yeah. Sorry. What Bryce was saying earlier about this coaching program we've done. The program is there to develop coaches, to be one-on-one -on -one coaches to executives, to clients, and teach them the red team coaching. But one of the sort of flip sides and the revelations of that is they've used these tools and techniques on themselves first. And they're coming back and saying, wow, this has really helped me understand myself. And as we're talking about, you know, master yourself. And before they're engaging with clients, they're applying these tools and techniques on themselves, on their practice, on their personal lives to really get themselves leveled up, if you will and make sure that everything around them is clear, understood, put in order before you step up. It's like, get your house in order, isn't it? Before you step <laughs> yeah. out. And this capability that people are witnessing, and I think it's such a force multiplier as an individual, as a leader, as a human being. Because again, if you go out there with the wrong mindset, with problems, as Daniel Kahneman talks about, with noise impacting you, what's going on with the biases that we're all aware of, then you're not going to be able to bring your A game, however hard you're trying, because you're always having these anchors, visible or otherwise, holding you back. You know, there's a there's a phenomenon that I've seen in my work over the years, and I've I, I particularly seen it in Japan, with some of the, working with some of the big Japanese companies, automakers, banks like Sumitomo, that you'd be in a meeting and there'll be a, a, an older gentleman you know, is very quiet, doesn't say anything. And then at the end of the meeting, that person will usually say something that's just the absolutely defines what happens in that meeting. You know, that's just kind of the distillation of everything. It's usually the most senior person. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a very strong emphasis in, in, in Japanese business culture for senior leaders to, to, to be quiet and to listen and to only step in when they have something important to share. And I think that we can learn a lot in the West from that approach, you know, and it, it, uh, it goes back. I, I know I've shared this story with you, Craig, and Marcus has heard it more times than he probably wants to, but you know, it goes back to this conversation that I had 
uh, with uh, Maggie Lake on CNN the day that Alan retired from Ford. And afterwards, after we got through recording my interview, you know, we were both talking about how great Alan is. And, and, and uh, she said, you know, I've interviewed, you know, at least a third of the CEOs, of the fortune 100 companies, probably half. And she's like that. I've never, never met anyone like Alan. And she, and, and I agreed. And, and she said, why, why are there so few Alan Mullally's in the world? You know, we need more of them. And, and I said, because there's so many Jack Welch's. <laughs> and, and, you know, that unfortunately, and then she, she totally agreed with me and we had a long conversation about that. Um, it, 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 that unfortunately became the model of leadership, hmm. particularly in America, but, but even more broadly, I think, you know, in the West and it's, it's, you know, I think it's a, it's a model of leadership that has been shown for what it really is, which is great at short-term results, mm. really, really bad at long-term results. And it's a, it's a model of leadership that's really based on, on ego in a negative way, I think. For sure. And, and I think, and you're absolutely right. And, uh, and, and love that story and love the, the focus on Alan and his leadership, because again, and what does Alan do? Alan looks at in his conversation, he is focused on, well, how do I build the people up around me? Right. Right. Uh -huh. How do I shine the light on the people that are in my community, in my atmosphere right now? That's extraordinarily powerful. And that doesn't, I mean, if we, if we step up to the balcony in this great example, that doesn't diminish his leadership. That strengthens it. Right. Because then he has the confidence to go, hey, I'm here. I add value. I'm contributing. And I'm absolutely comfortable to shine the light on Craig and Marcus and Bryce. Because they're valuable members of this team as well. So that is awe-inspiring and drives that connectivity that you're talking about and what makes Alan such an extraordinarily... Um, effective and also rare chief executive. But that allows him to lead as well, doesn't it? Because so often we see leaders not stepping up to lead. They go back to that because of the imposter syndrome, because of the lack of trust in people. Bring they in go McKinsey. back to what they were once good at. Absolutely. <laughs> Bring in someone else to do it. <laughs> but, but they drop back to their comfort zone, don't they? They're back in the old place where they were, frustrating their employees by not getting out the weeds. Whereas if you do what Alan does, as you said, you can then step up and step back and observe and think and plan strategically and lead where you need to focus your leadership skills rather than being just wrapped up in this hamster wheel of sort of focus operational delivery. Well, and you're so right, Marcus, because, well, and if you think about it, who's going to be most frustrated? Likely it's going to be your highest potentials because they're yeah. really excited about making an exceptional contribution. They just need, tell me the guardrails and I've got this. That's like, let it. me go unleash me. and unleash me and let me do what I want to do and deliver what I want to deliver. So if I'm there and going, oh, great, here goes Craig again, tell the world how awesome he is and how invaluable. And if he ever went away, well, I used to do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Back in the day. And yeah. then, well, thanks. Thanks and no thanks, because I'm going to move. And then again, an interesting conversation where people say, well, I wish my team, my organization, my division would have more uh, account, demonstrate more accountability, take ownership. And then it's like, oh, great. So what opportunities are you affording exactly. for that? 
how are you facilitating that kind of environment? Back to the point we continue to touch on, if we haven't asked ourselves that question, what am I doing to promote an environment of accountability and innovation? Well, now we're really, as opposed to, well, why can't my team do it or I'm doing it myself? You know, it's interesting because, you know, Marcus will tell you that I'm not a great sports follower and I don't use a lot of sports metaphors, but, but I will in this case, because this is the difference between being a coach in the, in the, in the, athletic sense of the term and and a king or a or a dictator or whatever term you want to use and you think about it you know doesn't matter what sport it is think think about the great coaches of all times you know Vince Lombardi in American football for instance they're not out there on the field they're not great because they're they're carrying the ball down the field they're great because they're building up a team of people and enabling those people to bring out the greatness in themselves and, and, and the success of those players on the field are what make them great leaders. And I think business leaders need to look at that example as how you lead a company too. 100%. And if you just look at a great story that's just come out in the news recently, if you've been following Ryan Reynolds, the great movie actor, who bought Wrexham Football Club, some tiny Welsh football club, almost for fun, <laughs> paid two and a half million for this, and they've just taken Wrexham to the top of the league. They won and they've moved out of the division to the next league. First time in 15 years. And as you said, Bryce, he wasn't on the, on the sports pitch being a football coach. He was in the background managing, motivating, stirring, bringing passion to not just the players, but to the whole city and the game. And they had the sort of the winner's bus drive through the city yesterday. And it, and it was just incredible to watch. And that level of morale and belief that his coaching, his leadership brought across the whole system, if you will, rather than just focusing on little elements that people tend to do. Well, a couple of awesome things with that story. Number one, go Canada, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> 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 Gotta have that plug in there, shameless plug. Uh, yeah. And then on, and then on top of that, though, which I love because it's tying in so beautifully to what we've touched touched on before. So, what is what is Ryan doing in that situation? He's not interested in how do I get the spotlight on me. What he's focused on is, hey, how do I get the best out of everybody around me? What is the problem I'm trying to solve? What is my ultimate objective here? And it's less about how I get credit for it. It's what is our end destination? And you know what? That's going to come when we get there. Just focusing, getting outside of ourselves again, right? Like in terms of, okay, like let's look at what, raise our awareness around the external environment. So important. And he's living one of Alan's other principles too, which is have fun doing it. Otherwise, oh, isn't he just? Yeah. <laughs> let's take a let's take a short break here. When we come back, we will continue the conversation. Hey, folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back. So the first half, we were talking to Craig about his book, A Time to Lead. Craig, I'd like to talk about your second book, or your first book, Do Good to Lead Well. 
And in there, you had a very interesting six pillars. Would you like to expand on those for our listeners? Sure. No, thank you. Um, and I'll make sure I get all six. That'll be <laughs> the author's it's a worst. Test. It's Five. A test. What's the sixth one again? I'll help uh, you. So it's, no, no, yeah, thank you. Um, so the six pillars are self-awareness, civility, humility, focusing on the positive, meaning and purpose, and empathy. I think things you don't often hear when asked about modern day leadership as characteristics, are they really? For sure. And that's why I wanted to uh, write my first book. I, I was passionate about writing a book. And so for me, what I wanted to do and goes back to what Bryce shared at the beginning about my why is highlighting the science between, behind mm -hmm. effective leadership. And in fact, there's a lot of research studies conducted that shows the benefit of when we lead with following each of these pillars. It's, it's really interesting. It is. And I you, you talked about the science. I think we, we're seeing a real shift, aren't we, now towards understanding the neuroscience, the psychology in how we operate, you know, mentally and physically. And we had Dr. Dealey McCabe on who really goes into how the brain works mm. from that aspect and, and fascinating really is to see it. And again, going back to, are, are you seeing this penny dropping, this light bulb coming on across the boards and the executives that you're working with? Are they embracing this and understanding it or is, are you still sensing the pushback of no 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 not for me thanks well i i think we're getting more i think the momentum is building and this was again pre-pandemic i think now either through i think what's happening is because more and more science has come to the forefront and more and more evidence is coming out and that's more accessible like now mm -hmm. we can access things more than ever before so then for those of us who were supportive of it, yet weren't sure, okay, how do I build a business case for it? It's stronger. And then those that were resistant to it, there's almost in a lot of ways, now they're being forced to reconcile it um, and it's coming to the table. And at the same time, as much as we would love to say, okay, everybody is following this, you see examples of people almost, you know, well, don't worry, it's gonna, the world's gonna go back to the way it was, we're all going to be in the office five days a week. And, you know, like, and so, yeah, kind of the windows 95 operating system of thinking <laughs> and, um, and we're all going to go so, back to windows 95. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, don't, don't worry. And I'll credit Adam Grant with that. Um, you know, so I think we are starting to build, we still, we're at an inflection point and, uh, and I think, organizations and their leaders in particular, we're not going to have a choice. And I think that's what's interesting in my conversations. What's particularly challenging is people who are on this more humanistic side of leadership, uh -huh. if you will, um, as where we are now are better positioned. And if you're thrown into this and not part of it, that's where and back to coaching. This can be a whole new world. And then, okay, I've got to learn about my emotions. I've got to understand how other people are thinking and feeling like I just want to deliver and I just want to hit yeah. the bottom well, line. My targets. Stuff? What's that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what, isn't that just going to get in the way? Yeah. You know, this is, this is a really important point because a lot of the focus of the new normal is on models of work, hybrid, you know, that sort of things like that. But, but I think one of the things that is lost in that is there is also 
less of a win. I think this is this goes into why we see so much quiet quitting, so much great resignation going on, is there's less tolerance post-pandemic, or not post-pandemic, I think, at this stage in the in the in the situation. Um, there's less tolerance for toxic leadership. Mm-hmm. There's less, you know, people people were more willing in 2019 to come to work and, and collect their paycheck working for a tyrannical boss that didn't listen to them than they are today. I think that a lot of people during the, the time working from home, during the time during lockdowns, reflected on what was important to them. And, and, and you know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the whole the whole thing that people were saying at the beginning of the pandemic in India, in you know, in Delhi, everyone was like, who knew that you could see the Himalayas from your, your balcony, you know, because there had been so much pollution for decades that people didn't realize that you could on a clear day without pollution, see the Himalayas from, from, from downtown New Delhi. I think in the same way, when people stopped going to work five days a week, working for bad leaders, mm-hmm. they started to mm-hmm. see the toll it was taking on their life because they saw how much better they felt without dealing with that. And, and, and once, you know, it's, it's interesting because the traditional life path where you, you know, you, you go to school, you go to college, you get out of college, you get a job, you don't really have a lot of time to reflect, particularly not in the U S I mean, in, in, in Europe where Marcus is, you know, people take summers off and, and maybe they have time to reflect, but in the United States, you know, the average person has two weeks of vacation and the average person doesn't even take all their all their vacation. So there's no time to really sit and reflect on what is this even something I want to be doing with my life? Yeah. And so I think the pandemic forced everyone to reflect, certainly gave them a big opportunity to reflect. And I think a lot of people went back to the workplace mm-hmm. saying, you know what? I'm happy to come here and do my job, but I'm not happy to come here and be belittled or ignored or sidelined or or abused. And if that's how things are going to be, I got other things I can do with my life. Yeah. And I think in parallel to that, and we talked about this with Oliver Yonchev, there's a whole generational shift in mindset as well. So you've got the older generation coming back after COVID and going, nope, not acceptable. But you've got this new generation, you've got Gen Z, Gen Z in the workplace who a great phrase all of you used was they've not been tarnished by the curse of knowledge in the workplace. So they've got a very different way of thinking and they're not tolerant of these behaviors. And they are, as Bryce said, quietly quitting or some of them vocally quitting and moving to where these organizations are receptive and demonstrating that type of leadership. So I think we've got two very strong parallel forces now, which are helping this drive towards the leadership we talked about. And then if you add top of that, you've got, you mentioned Adam Grant, You've got Brenny Brown, you've got Amy Edmondson, these big heavy hitters, and then yourself, Craig, and then me and Bryce down at the bottom, hitting as hard as we can to get up there to bring this message in of focus on your people, focus on mindset, focus on enabling and helping each other with empathy, with understanding, and that's a force for good that will only go one way. Well, and and to build on these great points that you're making, uh, because I have conversations and people saying, okay, so what was the impact of the pandemic on leadership and other things? These trends were there, and you you touched on this earlier as well, Bryce, like looking down and then look up. If you look at the data, the data from Gallup and other organizations about engagement Mm -hmm. and other different metrics, mental health, they were all there. What COVID did, what the pandemic did was then... You couldn't escape it. It was there and it was the ultimate pause button. 
And exactly as you're saying, now people went, and once again, great, perfectly in line with what both of you do so extraordinarily well, which is getting us to rethink things and challenge our assumptions. Well, what that did was put someone in a situation where it's like, oh, maybe there is a different way. Like, maybe there are other things I could do with my time. What else could I be focusing on? What am I sacrificing and this is, I mean, this was extraordinary in a conversation I had with a CEO uh, on my podcast. They were talking about like how it forced them to reimagine things. They were saying before we'd have uh, a conference call with executives from around the world. We had Zoom and we just <laughs> had them on telephone and yeah. no one sat there and went, oh, maybe we could put them on screen. It just had never crossed our mind. So again, right. something like that is right there, right under our nose. There's this TV, everything is in front of us and we miss it because we haven't asked a question. Right. You need, you need things to force yourself out of your rut, out of your, mm-hmm. your mental rut. And that's, you know, I mean, that is a, to your point, that's a lot of the tools and techniques that we spend so much time teaching people is, are designed to do that because, you know, most people, if you if you give them the opportunity, are perfectly able to see mm-hmm. things as they really are and to and to look objectively at things and to look critically at things. It's just that it's this that 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 the people just get head down, plowing their furrow, their their furrow, um, and uh, you know, and, and just the pressures of meeting deadlines of, of you know work, family, all these things make it very hard for people to pause and think. And again, that goes back to what we started in the first half of the show about the need to get that that distance. And it's so well, important. And if I may go back to empathy, because I love that question that you raised about, okay, so how does that fit? Uh, I remember having this incredibly valuable and inspiring conversation with a CEO. And, and a lot of times people see Empathy is the antithesis to success in our business because we got to make tough decisions. We got to drive results. And if I care about people, then they're just going to, you know, not do their best work. They'll think so I'm I had this, soft. That's right. They'll think I'm soft and, and we're not going to be able to do the things that we need to do. So remember talking to this chief executive. And so just shared this extraordinarily powerful story where he said, okay, we're going through one of our divisions built this organization to where it got to today. Now, market shifted. Things, the dynamics, trends changed. And now this is kind of old school. This is now, it was an outdated part. And now we were losing money and we had to pivot into a new part. Didn't make all the amazing contributions they made to us any less valuable. It was critical. And now things have moved on. So then talked about with the executive team. So we're going to have to basically close this division down. And then their desire was, you know what? I want to let them know. I want to engage them in this conversation because they've just been so important to where we are and just talk about what that's going to look like and how we can work together to figure this out. And some people were, no way they're going to, you know, undermine us. There's going to be all kinds of negative behaviors. We're going to be at risk. Not at all. Went to them. And what happened? People were maximally engaged. People worked overtime to yep. close the division down right, understood exactly why it was happening, and then went out to everybody that would listen to them and say, if you ever get a, an opportunity to work for this organization, get to the front of the line because they're awesome. 
And so what I find empathy, it doesn't get in the way of making tough choices. It provides the human element, which drives trust for people who in this situation remained as well as those who left. And it's incredibly powerful to inspire trust and engagement. It is. And, and it, there, there's there's two things. And it's funny. You know, I have these images you're talking, Craig, rather bizarre image that, that what every every CEO needs is, is a pair of prison tattoos on their knuckles. One <laughs> says empathy and the other says accountability. And, nice. and, and that's the thing. And, and, you know, again, I'll go back to me. That's Alan's secret sauce, too, is you need the yeah. empathy to understand what people are going through and what they need to be successful but you also have to hold them accountable, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of people who, who have seen Alan and seen, you know, how he's always smiling and being positive and, and, and bringing other people into the spotlight with him think, Oh, this guy's soft, but I have never seen a CEO who could shift from being smiling to being really intense in without losing his smile mm-hmm. in in holding people accountable and i and and i think back to um the first sit down interview i had with him when i was at the at the detroit news and and he came downtown and sitting in our editorial boardroom and my colleague our 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 business columnist um was was sitting next to me and uh, daniel house and daniel said to to alan he said you know, I hear all this stuff about how you're like this weird mix of like soft and hard at the same time. I don't understand how that works. And, and, uh, and, and Alan said, well, you know, and he said, can you, can you, can you just show me like what, what your leadership style is like? And Alan, I'll never forget. Alan sat across the desk from him and he said, well, Daniel, he said, uh, you know, I, I, I see that, uh, that you don't have the, the numbers that we asked for this week on our operations in, in India. And, uh, you know, it's, I understand you you and your team are going through some stuff and you need some help to get that, but, but I know you're going to have them for me next week because, you know, we, we need those numbers. And he just, can't, he just started, and, and Daniel, who's no, 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 no blushing flower. I mean, started to back up in his chair and he said, because, you know, I'd hate for you to let the team down next week, Daniel, and not have those numbers. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, yeah. and that's the thing. It's, it's, that's why I say it's, it's empathy and accountability yeah. at, at the same time. Well, and what I love about your visual, so playing with that, <laughs> is that a lot of times people see those things as fists going uh-huh. against each other, as opposed to these are, they are additive. So to yeah. get maximum yeah. accountability, empathy is the pathway. And now I want to understand exactly. So then, and as opposed to coming in with my assumptions or my judgments, you know, what are you working on? What do you need from me? How can we support? So back to Alan and his amazing example and working together, what support do you need? How can we get on board to assist you to where you need to go? There's still accountability because, Hey, we need these results. And now it's a collaborative conversation and it's much more engaging for people. So love that. Um, and they see it as, again, either or. I can be empathetic or I can hold people accountable. Yeah, it can be both. And that's, that's the right. beauty of And, you know, you know, because you're a student of Alan's uh, working together model, is every metric that Alan sets in an organization belongs to somebody. Mm-hmm. Now, it may be up to multiple 
teams, multiple leaders to deliver that, but one person owns every metric. Because if you don't do that, you don't have accountability. If you say, mm-hmm. you know, increasing quality is, well, that's, you know, that's the job of, of these three department heads. Yeah, maybe, but someone's got to own it because otherwise it's just going to be like this every meeting. And so somebody has to be held accountable for, for delivering every single metric in an organization. And it, you know, it goes back to the, you know, the, 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 the famous saying in this country uh, from President Truman, who had the sign on his desk, which I've actually seen the original in his museum. It says the buck stops here. Right. You know, at some point, somebody's got to be accountable for everything. We, we've talked a lot about the old guys, the executives, the old school leadership, <clears throat> the great examples of that. But right now, there are people moving into positions of leadership. My son's just graduated from Sandhurst as an army officer. He's now in charge of 20 people, in charge of leading them. There are new managers out there being promoted daily who suddenly find themselves going into work the next day and having a group of people looking up to them and expecting them to be their leaders. What advice would you give, Craig, to these people in these positions often dropped in there and facing the shock and awe of the title (laughs) and often not trained. Fortunately, my son's had the training through the army and the military side, which is very different, but especially in business, what, what, what sort of key top tips and wisdom would you offer to these poor individuals who've been dropped there without the support? (laughs) Well, for sure. And I think to me, uh, I would say, and regardless of what executive position you hold or leadership position you hold, our primary responsibility is chief awareness officer. <laughs> I love that. Chief awareness, uh, officer. A, a, awareness of self and awareness of others. Um, and then, and how we operationalize that is through curiosity. Um, and there's just too many things to know these days. There's just impossible to know everything. And so when we embrace that and recognize, well, and let's bring Alan back in, right? When we recognize the best way for us to achieve what's important is by all of us working together, that is success. And it's not all on one. We're all responsible, as you're saying, Bryce, accountable for pieces of the pie, yet we're all in this together. So right. that is the vital and, and it's that mindset, it's that orientation. So if I shift to say, you know, how can I make the team think I'm the smartest person in the room versus how can we all work together most effectively to solve this important problem? Mm-hmm. That impacts how I'm going to show up. It impacts Absolutely. my behavior. It impacts what I'm going to say. It impacts whether I'm going to ask a question or talk for no reason. <laughs> As you said, no one's going to ask if I just keep talking. These are vital pieces. So I think that to me is, and enjoy the journey. Uh, the And because this is something that's, you know, it's the most rewarding thing we can do. And it's also one of the most challenging things that we can do. So when we take that approach to it, I think now it unlocks us. It maximizes the chances we're going to have a positive impact. I love that. I love that chief awareness officer. It's, <laughs> it's so powerful. It is. Because that really, in my mind, that is one of the fundamental responsibilities of a senior leader is being the person who knows what's going on in all the different parts of the organization. There has to be somebody who, who, who knows that and then can deploy the resources that are needed as needed to the different parts of the organization. That's, 
That's so important. And if you don't know, you're not doing your job, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, and it's, you know, I talked about this in my first book, American Icon, Alan's first, first meeting at Ford, you know, asked, asked each leader of the company to come in and present the status of the company. Head of Ford's Asia Pacific division came up. Alan, Alan had said in his email to them, I want everybody to present their own numbers themselves. You can, you know, don't want your send your, your you're not going to bring your team. You can bring your team to sit in the meeting if you want, but it's just about the senior leaders talking about where the company's at. I need to know I'm taking over this company. And the head of Ford's Asia Pacific group, when his term came to, to present at the meeting, snapped his fingers and motioned for one of his, his minions to come up with a bunch of black binders. And Alan said, what are you doing? He said, well, it's just my, it's my head of, uh, you know, sales and stuff. He's going to explain where we're at in Asia Pacific. I said, no, no, he's not. He said, you're, you're the head of Asia Pacific. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I want to hear what you have to say. He, he said, he said, why, why, why would you get paid millions of dollars a year, which is what they were getting paid, to, to run Asia Pacific if you can't tell me how we're doing in Asia Pacific? And, you know, it's, it's a simple yeah. question, but I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and this was this was one of those moments, by the way, just like we talked about where Alan said, you know, we'll skip Asia Pacific this week, They're but right. I know next week you're going to come and tell me how we're doing in Asia Pacific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back, yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, and back to the awareness mm -hmm. side, because and I think this is the, the critical piece of it is that awareness of self and awareness of others, because then that maximizes the chances we're going to make the most informed decision for what the situation mm -hmm. requires. Because right. again, in my coach, back to imposter and ego, ego, I want to look external, make sure I'm framed appropriately, imposter, internal, I'm afraid about looking. So all these things can upset the apple cart, if you will. So then if I'm more aware of who I am, what my values are and what I value in a situation, excellent. Now I'm empowered to engage in this particular conversation with you both. Now, that doesn't mean that what I've just determined now overrides everything else. Now we co-create that exchange. Right. And I think that's where there's the power in that because it's both of those are necessary because otherwise I'm too inwardly focused or I'm too outwardly focused. There's balance in the force. force. Both are important. Yeah. Well, you're right. And, you know, I, I, and I, keep, I keep loving this idea of chief awareness officer because – when does bad leadership happen? Bad leadership happens when there isn't a functioning feedback loop. When the person at the top of the house doesn't know what's going on at the front line, at the factory floor, at the coal face. And, and you know, I just, I, I just finished reading an article yesterday on the Cuban Missile Crisis and a new analysis of it because a huge amount of, of Soviet documents were declassified last year. Um, that totally changed the narrative on what happened. And, and, the, and the key thing was that the Soviet general who was sent to Cuba to begin, you know, to cite the missiles and, and, and begin the operation, like, you know, flew over Cuba in a helicopter and said, what, what are we doing? This doesn't, isn't going to work. The plan was that they were going to hide all these missiles under these dense palm trees, you know, that were imagined to be covering the island. The part of the island where the missiles were going to go had 20% coverage of trees, and he and he called Moscow and he said, "This this isn't going to work. I mean, if we do this, the Americans are going to discover the missiles in a matter of days, and it's going to start World War III." <laughs> and and that information was never passed to Khrushchev. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, there, and that was just one of about 10 other pieces of information where Soviet commanders in the field were saying they, they didn't have the, the Soviet electrical equipment didn't work on the power Cuban power grid. They didn't yeah. have Spanish translators. All their none of their equipment had been tropicalized. So it was all rusting within a matter of days in the tropical humidity. And all these things were being passed back frantically by Soviet commanders. None of it was reaching Khrushchev. Mm-hmm. So Chief Awareness Officer Nikita Khrushchev has no idea what's actually going on. And augmenting this awareness that you talked about, you also mentioned curiosity, which is just a mm-hmm. word that I love. I mean, we're all born curious and it gets beaten out of us by the system as we move through yes. onto that conformity conveyor belt that we often see in life. And I think as a leader, how do you get that awareness? By being curious, by not having answers, not providing solutions, but asking questions. That Socratic method of asking questions rather than imposing your solutions and ideas and answers, but also as a leader, expecting curiosity from your people and allowing them to be curious. Because once they see that is something that they can do and be, then again, you are unleashing that inner capability because everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to come to work and do good and innovate and be creative and bring their suggestions. And if somebody's listening and if somebody's fostering that ability to do so, I think again, that's a huge enabler for any leader from both a credibility you know, opportunity, but also an operational output because the quality of considered thought that you're then getting from your groups of individuals working for you, is far better than you're ever going to do on your own ever. For sure. Yeah. And I think that curiosity is is integral to everything. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. It gets beaten out of us and, and it's and it's undervalued and it's undermined yeah. and under rewarded uh, in terms of all. Oh, well, it's the answer, not the question. It's well, let's just figure this out quickly as opposed to, well, yeah, let, let's are to we answers. solving? Stop yeah. Are we solving questions. the right yeah. problem? Right. Like, <laughs> hey, yeah. are we are we here for a blood pressure check or an amputation? just checking in on like these are vitally important even if it's if it turns mm-hmm. out to be an obvious question and so many conversations i have no around this thing where yeah. exactly i'll say to people in my experience and i'm i'll curious on your your side of it the quote unquote dumbest questions has unlocked the most transformative yeah. insight for people and they go i can't believe we weren't using zoom versus conference calls mm-hmm. like how did we not know how to do that so i love i say that all the time the the dumber the question the more yeah. important it is to ask uh be, oh. because it just there's so much to unlock you're you're so right craig i mean i i when i've led facilitations uh, uh helping organizations yeah. red team strategies and plans whenever i hear someone say i have a dumb question <sighs> I, 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 I kind of just like get all, all my spidey senses tingling because I, I more than 50% of the time, what's going to come out of their mouth next is going to be the question that no one's asked that everyone needs to be, to be asking. And it's so important. It's gold. So there you go, folks. Keep asking the tough questions. Craig, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Where can folks uh, connect with you? Uh, thank you. This is a blast. Uh, I, it was just so much fun. Uh, they can go to craigdowden.com. 
uh, or I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, so I'm happy to, to, to connect with anyone who has questions about whatever they want to explore a little more deeply. Let them know that, uh, that they found me through here and uh, be a special uh, connection. Excellent. And I can share a Ryan Reynolds story. So Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Good. All right. Thank you. And like I said, everyone, keep asking the tough questions. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode. There, you'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.